All right, well, I feel like a basketball player who's just been punched in the nose. I have a bloody nose. It just happened. And you know how you guys... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and laugh. And no kids, I wasn't picking it. I was just sitting there. It just starts bleeding. Anyway, I'm on this allergy medicine that I squirt in my nose. And so anybody in ear, nose, and throat doctor? So people are laughing at me. I, I'm the one up here with this... Kleenex stuck up my nose. You're not you, so don't be embarrassed for me. This is like people are listening online. They're like going, "Can you just show a picture?" So feel free, take a picture. We'll <laughs> we'll post it. I'll try not to gross you out. All right. I don't even know if Adriana's going to put this part. Probably not on the online version. Dad, this is the weirdest thing. I think I would rather have the flu or something. I've done that before. I've preached with the flu, but. Anyway, so there's, it's hardly noticeable, thank you. <laughs> I feel like the emperor with no, no clothes on, but thankfully that's not my problem this morning. <laughs> okay, you guys ready? So we're continuing on in our sermon series titled Resurrected Living, and the first two sermons, one was Resurrected Hope. Peter told us uh, that we are born again, remember, into a living hope kept in heaven for you. Resurrected hope. And then resurrected mind. Last week, um, Paul wrote, remember, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God and do not conform to the sinful pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you, so that you can discern God's, God's will for you. And so today we build upon those two sermons. And today's sermon is titled Resurrected Calling. Now, most of us, when we hear the word calling, we think of how ministers have a calling. There was that Uncle William who had a calling to enter into the ministry. And and certainly, ministers have that specific calling. But generally speaking, every Christian has a calling from Christ. Stop laughing at me. Do Do you know this calling? Has this calling captured your existence? All right. Our passage is Philippians and we're looking at chapter 1, um, verse 18b. That means we're starting halfway through verse 18 and going through verse 30. You guys ready? Here we go. This is Paul writing to that church. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, listen, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live, to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word from Paul who models for us the manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. And we confess we are not worthy people. We have not been people we, you call us to be, let alone the people we know we should be. And yet in Christ Jesus, you have made us to be new, given us this born-again hope, this resurrected hope. And now we see our resurrected calling. May you press into us the truth you would have us to learn and live out, we pray. Amen. Well, that's not good. All right, there we go. Anybody got an IV? <laughs> All right. Most of us here are familiar with that World War I recruitment poster and the slogan. You remember, Uncle Sam wants you. Remember that poster, that gray-haired, goateed man with the hat pointing his finger and he's calling men to go join the fight in Europe? Hundreds of thousands of Americans responded to that call, a call to fight against tyranny and, and godless oppression. They, they all sought to use their bodies to honor their country for this great cause. And tens of thousands of Americans paid the highest price. They gave their lives because of this noble calling to serve. My grandfather's brother died in World War I, serving, heeding that call. Now, most of us here are Christians. That means you've turned in faith and you've trusted your life and your death and a resurrection to come to Christ. And, and listen, if that's you, you have a calling. It's more than a calling to come to Christ. It's a calling to come to him and live for him in his kingdom. As Paul writes in verse 27, it is a calling to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. We will flesh out the details of what this means in a bit, but for now, let us at least agree on something. Listen, Christ did not save us to put us up on a shelf. If you're a Christian, your salvation was the means by which you enter into the kingdom of heaven in which you love and serve your Lord and Savior. Uh, our lives belong to him. And he has given us a calling, a calling as we see here, to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, could you imagine if millions of Americans, and they did, four, millions of, um, four million Americans heeded that call, in World War One, could you imagine if they heeded the call of Uncle Sam wants you? Could, and can you imagine them joining the cause, only in the end to to not even fight in any battles? My country needs me to fight. I'm going, and then and then just sit on on their hands. Now, how much more bizarre should it be then when a Christians, when Christians hear the call from Christ to come and enter into his kingdom, and then they sit on their hands? The people Paul was writing to, the, the church in Philippi, they were part of a healthy congregation, a lot like us. But they, like Paul, were, they were enduring hardship and persecutions because of what? Their membership in Christ's kingdom. I think just from reading 
this passage, we can see that Paul's desire was to help them not to be frightened or discouraged, to not be ashamed, to help them through their suffering and this conflict that was upon them. And it's true, we too can struggle, but truthfully, our experiences here on the east end of Long Island pair in comparison with what our Christian brethren around the globe have to endure on a daily basis because of their faith. Christians in places like Iran and Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Somalia, China, just to name a few. And yet it's true, if we are faithful to our calling, we too will be persecuted. Our family members and friends and co-workers may get tired of hearing the gospel from us for the umpteenth time. Our friends may end up talking about us behind the back as my friends did when I converted to Christianity. Oh, Mark, he's a Bible thumper now. Um, and, And as we give our time and our talent and our treasure, we will suffer for the things that we are missing out on because of the kingdom of God's grip on us. So Paul helps us to see that living out this calling truly is wonderful. In fact, it's worth rejoicing. I hope you all come to see that this morning. Just as millions of U.S. soldiers lived out their calling to serve in a manner worthy of their country, so too Christians have a calling to live and to serve in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what we're going to look at under two headings. The model and the manner. First, the model. Let me pause for a little station identification. Hey, we're better. All right. Well, we'll see. I have a family member, a friend, a friend of our family, who is a fashion model. I mean, like, cover of Vogue and Glamour magazine. It, she's a beautiful young woman but let's 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 get real here what she models for us um you and i could never become right i mean the dresses and the swimsuit suit she models we could never afford and if we could we probably couldn't fit in them did i mention she's like 86 pounds and no one would actually go out in public wearing her peacock inspired eyeshadow Thankfully, our lives don't hinge on how well you and I live out a calling to be a runway model. But in verses 18 through 26, Paul walks the runway for us. I know that's kind of a weird image, okay. But Paul models something that we all can do in Christ by God's grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Paul models for us what we call cruciformity. Cruciformity is a compound word uh, from the word cruciform, which means cross-shaped. And conformity, which means, in this case, conformity to the cross, to, to Christ crucified. Paul models for us cruciformity. His cruciformity is seen in a number of statements that he makes. Look at the end of verse 20. He says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is in prison in Rome. He is awaiting trial. If found guilty, listen, he will be executed. Why? What did Paul do? Well, Paul had returned to Jerusalem and after years of church planting. And the religious leaders there were appalled that Paul declared that Jesus, this crucified uh, Galilean, was the Jewish Messiah. They sentenced Paul to die. So Paul appealed to Rome. See, Paul was a Roman citizen, and he had the right to have his case heard in the highest court, Caesar's courts, in Rome. 
And so Paul is suffering in, in prison in Rome, but he doesn't think like an immature Christian. Why God? Why me? You know, I've been a good Christian. How come, how come I'm suffering? Paul knew, listen, that his imprisonment was part of God's plan for his life. When we live with cruciformity, we expect trouble. Why? Because we live for Christ's sake and for his kingdom. Remember our Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? What does he say? Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, when you follow me and you embrace this cruciformity of life, don't be surprised when persecution comes your way. You're being persecuted like Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, be glad and rejoice, for greater is your reward. Paul seems to understand that, doesn't he? How does this section begin? With Paul rejoicing. He's in prison rejoicing. Verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. He's awaiting trial. He could easily be found guilty and executed. In verses 19 and 20, he believes he's actually going to be acquitted, though. But for Paul, it matters not the verdict. In modeling cruciformity, Paul takes us to another level again. What does he say in verse 21? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The world we live in doesn't think this way, does it? At least not until Jesus somehow gets a hold of you. The world says the opposite. To live is me, and to die, well, that's, that's a loss of me. To live is me and my dreams and plans, and to die is surely the end of me and all my hopes. We think, I have so many things to accomplish on my bucket list. The more I accomplish on my bucket list, the more my life will, will give me what I long for. Problem is, at the end, you eventually what? You kick the bucket. I mean, that's where they got the term from. So what's on your bucket list? That if you did not accomplish it before you die, you'd feel that your life had fallen short. I think if you were to ask Paul what's on his bucket list, you'd find one word, Christ. Either as I live or as I die, my bucket list is Christ. When he kicks the bucket, he gets what he wants. When he lives on earth, he gets what he wants, Christ, in his life. Now, not that Paul doesn't have any desires or longings. Paul he longs to return to Philippi. He longs to go back to all those churches he planted all, all around uh, Asia Minor and, and Southern Europe. And for us, there's nothing wrong with having desires for a career, perhaps, where you can utilize your God-given gifts or a marriage or a family that honors the Lord or a, or a large income that can generously fund many Christ-honoring projects. But ultimately, the Christian bucket list is to be like Paul's. It's to have one item on it, honoring Christ in my body. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul is just restating what Jesus said earlier, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And what is Paul's reward in heaven? And what is our reward in heaven? It's Christ, Christ himself. 
Most people long to see their dearly departed loved ones in heaven someday. And guess what? That's good, and that is fine. But Paul models for what he longs to see most. Jesus, the one who bled for him, who died for him, to to make him a righteous son of God, to, to, to be a part of that eternal glory that are really, if we're honest, our hearts long for. None of us wants to kick the bucket. The scripture says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. My dog knows nothing of eternity, great as my dog is. Cows know nothing of eternity. Only human beings, because we're made in God's image, understand eternity. And it can be a fearful thing unless you have the peace that Christ gives you. But my friends, in heaven, Christ is our greatest gift. He is the one we should most long to see, along with Aunt Bertha and Uncle Philbert or whatever his name is. For Paul and for every mature Christian, Listen, Jesus isn't like an abstract concept. When Paul says he lives so that Christ will be honored in his body, he's not saying that, that the memory of Christ will live on in him. This is, this is not a soldier fighting on in the memory of his fallen comrade. No, Paul says, what? Christ will be honored, whether by me being alive or by my dying. Paul says, My desire is what? To depart and be with Christ. Which is far better? Far better than what? Than than staying around and serving on earth. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. Paul is letting this church in Philippi kind of sit on his shoulder as he's helping them, as he's showing them how he processes his calling on earth. He's like, I would rather be off this earth to be present with the Lord where there is peace and joy, there is no more sin or sorrow or guilt or shame. But if the Lord wants me to be here, which I think he does, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to serve what? Christ, my Lord. Does that challenge you in any way? (laughs) I mean, I know I'm just throwing this on you. It's like Sunday morning. It's like, bam, here it comes at you. But I've been looking at this text all week long, and it's like, you know, and it's like, no, I don't know. I feel like Mark still has things he really wants to do that really maybe aren't so God-honoring, you know? I want to go to Europe another time. I want to do this. I want to do that. And Paul is saying, no, the greatest, the greatest desire of someone who knows Christ is to be where he is. Yes, it's good to be with the body of Christ. In many ways, we, we live out Christ here on earth. But I don't know. None of you are Jesus, right? Okay, so as much as I love you, right? <laughs> and as much as you try to love me. Listen, Paul, Paul really believes that Jesus is alive in heaven, delighting in him, watching over him, caring for him, answering his prayers, going before him, opening up doors, closing doors, moving his life around, causing people to, under, to, to come into a relationship with him, causing him to be in prison where prison guards hear the gospel and, and come to believe in Christ. Paul is alive in Christ. That's our motto at Grace Church, right? Alive in Christ because Christ is alive. Jesus is not an abstract concept. He's alive. He's in heaven. You can have a relationship with him if you put your trust in him. Now, may this be a challenge to us. You know, I think we tend to focus on the blessings of Christ instead of Christ himself, right? 
We tend to focus on the Christian calling, but not the one who calls us into this calling. So, so maybe be a people who have our eyes fixed on Christ, on Jesus. And, and guess what? When we do that, we will hear his voice. He will speak to us. Our calling will come naturally. When we are close to Christ, his voice is heard clearly through Scripture, through prayer. And he brings this joy into our lives despite our circumstance. Now, that's Paul. Paul is modeling that for us, guys. Okay? It's a process to get there. He is a very, very mature Christian. And we're all somewhere from infancy or perhaps even no faith, uh, infancy in Christ, working our way towards maturity. So let, this, let Paul's modeling challenge you where it challenges you and ask God to move you along the journey of maturity in Christ. So that's the model. Now for the manner. Paul begins the last section of this passage in, in verse 27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I've told this story before a number of years ago. Um, perhaps you remember it, perhaps not. It's a story of uh, a friend of mine from my freshman year of college. Freshman year, I went to Texas Christian University. I was there a year, then I transferred to Indiana. My freshman year, I met this young man, Tom Markell. It was like that nervous kind of first day of school, and you're surrounded by all these young, cool people, and you, but you never feel like more alone, right? You know? And, I, and, this, and this, all the tables were filled, and, and he welcomed me over, and I sat at the booth with Tom Markell. He was from Buffalo, New York. He was estranged from his own parents. And there was this Christian family. This older couple took Tom in, and they paid for his education. I remember the conversations I had with Tom about that couple. And he didn't use these words exactly, but in hindsight, the things he said made it clear to me that Tom desired to honor that couple with his life. Tom acknowledged that he really didn't know what caused them to do it and that he could never really repay them, kind of like we can never repay God back for his mercy towards us. But he could honor them by living a life in college that was worthy of the kindness that was shown him. So he studied and got good grades. He was careful not to get caught up in too much of the crazy college scene. He spoke regularly about their kindness to me and to others. He wrote them letters, letting them know how he was doing. And so when Paul says to us here that, that we're to, to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, it makes sense, right? Like I don't need to like belabor the point. We get it here, do we not? If Christ gave his life for you, so that all the glory of being a child of God and what that means comes into your life, then, then how else could we live if not in a manner worthy of the gospel that saved us, right? But Paul is more specific here, and the actual Greek language is helpful. It literally reads, only live as citizens worthy of the gospel. 
Paul is doing something that the Philippians would have picked up on. See, the townspeople in Philippi were proud of their Roman citizenship. See, the city was designated a colony of Rome because tens of thousands of Roman soldiers retired in that ancient city. Could you imagine what that city would have been like if Harley-Davidson motorcycles existed back then? Man, I'm telling you, we're all around town, man. woo Semper Fi. All right. The regular Philippian was proud of his Roman citizenship. So Paul is playing, get it? He's playing on the ethos of the Philippians when he says only live, out, only, only live as worthy citizens of the gospel. Later, Paul will remind the Philippians of just who they are. He'll, he'll write these words. But our citizenship is in where? Heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. My friends, the hope of Christianity is that one day, yes, we will all die, we will all kick the bucket, but the hope of Christianity is that just as Christ has risen from the grave, so too all who trust in him will rise to an eternal glory. And that eternity that God sets in our hearts, we will go, yes, now it makes complete sense. This is where I belong with Christ. That is the Christian message. And Paul is saying, our citizenship is there. Now, we all have citizenship from some country. For most of us here, it's the United States of America. That is our earthly citizenship. But Christ gives us a calling to live on this earth today as those whose true citizenship is in heaven. Remember, we live in the already, but not yet. The kingdom of Christ has come. It's here already, but it's not yet here fully. That's the Christian hope. Christ will one day return and restore this earth in beauty and glory. So when Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he is calling us to live today as citizens of Christ's kingdom here and now. How does, how does that resonate with you? It's something you like, right? You, you want to live this out, right? That's the manner that, that we're to live our lives out. Now, he gets in greater detail in the last few verses. Basically, two points he wants to get across. And we'll just look at them real quickly. We're almost done. First, uh, be strong and, and united as a church as you share the gospel. And second, embrace the fact, listen, that suffering is a gift from God. Look, at, look, at, look in um, first that we're to be strong and united as a church as we share the gospel. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith, and are not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Paul wants to hear that the church in Philippi is strong in three areas. And I think this church in Watermill, we want to be strong in these three areas. First, Paul wants to hear that they're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, that there's unity. See, every local church is a localized body of Christ. Christ is our head, we are his body. Unity is critical if we're to live out our calling together here on the East End. Far too many churches get bogged down with disagreements and quarrels. But our calling is so big, we cannot let the enemy sidetrack us. 
Paul says he wants to hear the church is standing firm in one spirit with one mind or calling to, to live this out in community. May, may that be what Grace Church is known for. Maybe also be known for the second aspect Paul mentions in verse 27. I mean, may stride side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is each member striving side by side. The image, once again, is it's, a, it's of a battle, of a military scene. Soldiers locked arm in arm, side by side, advancing against the enemy. Christians, we have a, a calling to, to strive side by side. This is not something we do on our own. We do it together as the body of Christ. We're not alone in this. Side by side, we shine Christ's light here on the East End. Thirdly, as we do this together, we are not to be afraid. Paul says in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Remind yourself this. Everywhere Jesus went, he was received in one of three ways, right? People responded to Jesus with belief, with indifference, and with rejection. Paul encourages us not to be frightened when the, the, when the light shines into the darkness and the darkness strikes back. Paul says, did you know that if this happens, if you're persecuted for your faith, well, it's, Paul says it's a, it's a sign of your salvation <laughs> and their destruction. That is the first component, component of living a manner worthy of the gospel. The body of Christ is united in spirit and in mind to bring the gospel to the community. We're not to be afraid. And guess what? When we do, persecution comes. Paul transitions to the second component of a manner worthy of the gospel. And what we need to embrace is that that suffering is, in fact, a gift from God. Most people, and certainly many Christians, do not think that suffering is a gift from God. But the mature Christian understands that God doesn't just allow suffering. He actually wills suffering. And therefore, the mature Christian enters into suffering willingly for Christ's sake. Look what Paul writes in verse 29 and 30. Look, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here I still have quick word study verse 29 the verb has been granted is the Greek word charizomai that's the verb the noun form is charis which we translate into grace or gift. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, talks of charismata, the charismatic gifts. They're gifts of God's grace to his people. The verb charizomai means to give or grant graciously and generously with the implication of goodwill on the part of the giver. God has granted us. He's He's gifted us. It's a gracious thing that he's done. He's gifted us with suffering for the sake of Christ. That's, that's just, sorry, there's too many like profound things in this passage. I think of just one of them a week is enough. But, you know, God has gifted us with suffering for Christ's sake. This isn't suffering because you're cheating on your taxes or cheating on your spouse. This is suffering for Christ's sake. When Christians live out our calling to live for Christ in his kingdom, inevitably suffering will come. 
This past week, the best rugby player in Australia was kicked off the team and stripped of his like $4 million salary because of an Instagram post in which he shared his Christian beliefs. And guess what? The, the groups that cry out the most for tolerance were intolerant once again. Paul says in the last verse that when you live out your God-given calling to live for Christ in his kingdom, you will find yourself engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. Paul says that, that we're to understand this suffering properly. God grants these encounters in which we suffer for Christ's sake. It's a chance for us to suffer for our Savior's sake. These are grace gifts from God in our lives. Maybe not run from them. Maybe not chicken out. Maybe gather arm in arm together as we seek to bring the gospel to the East and along Island. Now, Christian, is there room in your theology for a God who both loves you enough to grant you belief in Christ and who grants you to suffer for his sake? Is your theology big enough to handle that? He grants you belief, and he grants you suffering. Those aren't my words. Those are Paul's words. If you have a hard time wrapping your head around this, and I do as well, we need to go back to the cross, right? God did not grant his son to suffer. He did grant his son to suffer for a greater glory, did he not? And so if God grants his own son to suffer in our, in our, for our sake, should we not also suffer for his sake? That's how the logic goes. It's quite simple. I think the answer is yes. We're to rejoice that he grants us to suffer for the sake of Christ. All right, so we've seen that as Christians we share a resurrected calling, calling to live a life worthy of the gospel. Let's wrap up by looking at the growth of the church in Iran the last 40 years. It's been 40 years now since 1979, the Islamic Revolution in Iran. Some of you guys remember when the Shah was toppled. When the Islamic Revolution took hold of Iran, the land came under Muslim Sharia law. Christianity was outlawed under penalty of death. In 1979, it was estimated that there were only 500 Christians of Iranian citizenship living in Iran. Today, estimates of Christians in Iran range from 300,000 to 1 million. One of the primary reasons for growth is persecution. Christians in Iran were granted by God for the sake of Christ that they should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And many did. One early leader, Mehdi Dibaj, was arrested. He was later murdered because he lived out his Christian calling. He had to stand in, in trial in courts, in, in Islamic courts, prior to his death. And, and what he said there became a rallying cry for the whole church to grow in, in Iran. Here's what he said. Listen, I would rather have the whole world against me, but know that the Almighty God is with me. Be called an apostate, but know that I have the approval of the God of glory. Then he went on, listen. 
Life for me is an opportunity to serve him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, these are his words, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I am ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus my Lord and enter his kingdom sooner, the place where the elect of God enter to everlasting life. Now, when I read this, when I read this this week, I couldn't help but think, Mark, would you testify like that? What about you? Thankfully, we do know that that God gives us the grace we need in the moment we need it, right? So I've not been put in that situation yet, and neither have you. But I believe God's grace and his mercy would allow us to perhaps speak so eloquently about Christ. It's clear, though, that that Mehdi Dibaj lived out his calling to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he clearly embodied Paul's words. I'm sure he's read them. He had them on his mind for, to, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. My friends, may God show us more of his love this morning. May we delight more and more, not in our salvation, but in the only one who can save us, our Lord Jesus Christ. May we draw near. May we hear his call afresh. May we love him. May we live for him in a manner that is worthy of him. Let's pray. Father, these are some weighty words. There's some hard challenges, but yet we know because of your spirit in us that as we read these words, we know they are true. We, we want to embody what we've read here. We want to be people who live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. May we unite together as one body here at Grace Church. May we strive together side by side to advance the gospel on the East End. And when persecution comes our way, may we, may we not be fearful, but may we rather be strengthened. And may your gospel message be proclaimed through us, we pray. Amen.